welcome to season two, episode one of That Marriage Podcast. We are coming in hot and heavy, talking about white privilege. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, so officially, welcome back to That Marriage Podcast. Here we are in season two, and we're not wasting any time getting straight into it. It's super relevant right now. As we're recording this, it's May 28th. And I wish I wish it wasn't so relevant what date it was. I I wish that we didn't have to date which person of the black community was murdered this week innocently. I mean, that's that's effed up. There's really no other way to say it. We're coming in hot and heavy. I'm not holding back. I'm really angry. I'm really emotional about this. There's really no words. I mean, I'm I'm livid. So most recently, we're discussing the heinous act of the murder of George Floyd. Everyone knows about it. Everyone's talking about it. Um... And this kind of led to this post that I made on Facebook about white privilege and how white privilege is a thing. And I can't even believe that's still debated. Um, And it was interesting. Joe and I were discussing this this morning and he's as he's prepping a sermon to talk about what's going on in our country. um, And I said, oh, yeah, I posted something about white privilege. And it was interesting that. Joe said he can't speak to that. Um, And that kind of caught me off guard. But go ahead, Joe. Why do you think you can't speak on white privilege? Well, uh, actually, against all um, well thought out, uh, you know, people see me and they see a white guy. But I'm not white. I'm actually Hispanic. I grew up in Puerto Rico. I so happen to have lost my color because it's cold up here. And there's no beach around here. Sorry, U.S. Um, Coming from a tropical island, yeah. Can't beat that. But it's it's hard. Um, It's something where where I would love to talk about. But uh, it's difficult. And then I started thinking about it and I said, wait a minute. I can actually talk about this a little bit. at least in my own personal experience. And it's it's part of my post that I made. Part of the post that I made is I mentioned, I actually mentioned that I I thank God sometimes that my Hispanic husband is light-skinned enough to pass as white because maybe that would save his life one day. And that's so, I mean, like that, that pains me so much to say, like, why is that a reality? Why is that a th- thing I I shouldn't be thankful for something like that I should I mean I'm super thankful for my husband I love him but I shouldn't thank God that my husband is light enough to pass for white to save his life like that's so just messed up in so many ways um but it's it's the truth I mean my husband looks white until they learn his name and then he's not white and now then he, suddenly he's not white enough anymore. It's like, oh yeah, this guy, Joe, he's really awesome. And then 
I'll, if I can't get his attention enough, I'll be like, Jose. And I'll turn around and someone goes, what? Oh, she, she made up a Spanish name for you. And I'm like, oh, this is awkward. Cause actually that's his real name. He grew up in Puerto Rico and my husband's not white. He's just light skinned Latino. And so it's it's hard it's hard to talk about it but i guess to i can't believe that we're actually debating no it's still a thing where we people argue both sides you know oh there's no such thing as white privilege and then you know then you have the other side yes there is such a thing as white privilege and i will i, I will admit this you know it, it it really just comes down to how you view things um, but at the end of it all, white privilege is, does not exempt white people from struggles and, um, no, you're just the, not struggling because of your skin color. Exactly. You just struggle for a different reason. Yes. Yes. So for me personally, um, this is where I, I learned that there is such a thing as, as white privilege. I remember um just uh, I, w I was pulled over by the cop cop comes up very nice very cordial the whole thing i give my license and registration he pauses and i am not lying right now this is so true and if there's any lawyers out there you know it's long gone i, I don't even know who the person was and you know it it, it is what it is at this point but he places his hand on his gun and he quickly asks me the question, where are you from? And I said, oh, um, I like in this time, you know, um, I was living in Chattanooga, but whatever, you know, Chattanooga. No, where are you from? And I was like, I don't understand. This is not a like this is a Hispanic name. Where are you from? I'm like, does it matter? And, and the conversation totally shifted. Now he wasn't treating me nicely. You know, it wasn't the whole atmosphere changed. You know, now it was asking me where I was going. Why am I doing, you know, why am I driving? You know, it, it, it now became this whole interrogation once he saw my license with my full name. And you don't have a very typical Hispanic last name i don't either it's true i do not you know it, it is a, a italian descent but at the end of the day it's i still have a jose yeah it's i have a spanish name and that 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 interaction changed so fast you know nothing happened no like i i just ended up kind of cutting him off and asking did i do anything wrong and he's like no and he just like let me go nothing happened but it was like, wait a minute. So at face value, you thought I was some white dude. You treated me nice. You know, you were kind of laughing off. You know, like it, it was very lighthearted and everything. You know, it was kind of odd for, for a stop. And I didn't do anything wrong, but I just got pulled over. Um, and then once he sees my name and he knows I'm Hispanic, then, then things change. Now it's hand in the gun. 
now it's you know more aggressive you know asking me what am i doing you know it's like wait a minute like what did i do wrong did i do something wrong and if i did then you know charge me for whatever i did wrong you know and it's it's difficult you know and and you know sometimes i think about that experience i'm like wow well i'm glad that i no longer blatantly carry my Puerto Rican paraphernalia, if, <laughs> like my fandom, my flags and all that stuff, because I know that I'm going to be an easier target. And, and to another experience, for me personally, when I first moved to the United States, I had a very traumatizing experience with a, I probably could say, powerful white man. And at the time I had my accent, you know, I really couldn't speak English very well, um, you know, could get by and, you know, the whole thing. But, you know, you can definitely tell that, you know, as in his own words, you're fresh off the boat. Um, and I'm 17. And I realized that the only way I would ever make it in this country as an adult was if I remove any trace of my, not physical, it can be a physical appearance, but my non-white heritage. And in my situation, it was my accent. I will never make it here. Like, I knew for a matter of fact that as a Hispanic male, I was not going to make it far enough if I didn't fix the way I spoke. And I still have issues and I still, you know, whatever. I can't fix it all. Um, But for the most part, you know, I was able to achieve some form of, you know. I bet there are some people listening who are like, wait a minute. Yeah. This guy's first language (laughs) is Spanish? And it's, it's so hard, you know, this is not now, this is my personal experience. Um, I can't even imagine how, how difficult it is. You know, for me, I was at least, you know, I've I've always been, you know, I I, I brown up real nice. You know, I I get a nice little carbon. Yeah, he does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But. And, uh, and if you see pictures of me when I was in Puerto Rico, obviously I was all, you know, nice, nice caramel. He was a beautiful caramel man. Yes, I was. He's a little pasty now, but I still love him. Yeah. Uh, um, anyways, um, you know, as, as, as a light skinned Hispanic, physically, I can get by, you know, in, in a society that really looks down on the black man. Let's I'm just going to be that honest. Like I remember that was one of my first uh perceived reality when I first moved to Philadelphia. Why is it that everyone always looks at the black people when they walk by? I don't know if you remember there was a confrontation that I had with someone and you were there about this. It's like why like why 
why black people? Like, why do you have to say that? Like, why do you have to have the, the phrase, oh, well, he was black? You know, w- why is that important within the description of someone? Yeah. And I mean, in some instances, when you're describing someone, obviously you will describe their skin color and that's that's part of the thing. But like, what is happening in America right now is disgusting. Just point blank. It's disgusting. How... I just read that someone in Minnesota, I can't remember who it was, says they don't have enough evidence, criminal evidence, to charge the guy who killed. I'm like, what? How? Do... The two guys who shot Ahmad, like, how? 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 It's on video. It's it blows my mind. And the fact that people try to say that white privilege isn't a thing blows my mind. And I mean, it does take some time to come to terms with it as a white person. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's not something that you easily just say, oh, yeah, I have privilege as a white person. I didn't. I it probably was only in the past couple of years that I came to this realization about myself because I did grow up poor. I grew up struggling. I, my parents made just like five cents enough that we got zero aid for anything, but we ate cereal for dinner three nights a week. We ate spaghetti for dinner the other four nights a week. I mean, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. We, we didn't have money for extras. We didn't go out to eat. Oh man. I think I can count on one hand the number of times my family went out to eat as a family, as a child. And I mean, when I say as a child, I mean up until the time I moved out at the age of 20. We didn't eat out Mm -hmm. because we couldn't afford it. And so it was hard for me to come to that conclusion as an adult saying, I'm not privileged in any aspect. I had to work for every single thing I've ever had in my life, which is true. That doesn't negate that I've worked hard for things. But the fact that I'm white definitely made it easier for me to work for those things. I could go into a job interview and I automatically had more, in Gen Z words, clout than than yeah. a black woman had would have had or even a black male would have had. Mm-hmm. I could walk into a job and immediately I would have more privilege. You have the benefit of, of the doubt. Yeah. Obviously. Than someone of color. And mm-hmm. that's horrible. And that took a long time for me to like accept that in my mind. And it's shameful. I mean, I'm ashamed. I used to be one of those people who said all lives matter. Do all lives matter? Yes. But not all lives are being attacked right now. I am. I mean, I, when you finally get it, you get it. And if you don't get angry, I, I don't understand. How can you not be angry? And I I applaud our black brothers and sisters for taking it with so much grace for so many years. Mm-hmm. Because it's an outrage. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, 
oh, wow, she's crazy. White people don't have privilege. Think of it like this. Think of white privilege as being given a stack of cash. Now, what you do with that cash is your choice. You can basically do the, the things that most people do when they have a stack of cash. You'd buy some food and you'd buy a house and you'd buy a car. And you'd pay off a little debt. And that's pretty much the bare minimum of what you can do. So that's kind of the equivalent of someone with white privilege saying, I'm not racist. I don't have white privilege. I have a black coworker and we have, we have the same job. It's not the same. That's pretty much the bottom of, of the barrel. You're just kind of like, okay, this is what is expected of being human. So with that cash, you know, you still have some more and you give random amounts to people. And, you know, you don't have to give them anything. Realistically, it's your money. It was given to you. And you give people just enough to, you know, go buy a candy bar and this, that, and the other thing. But you don't really do anything to, to change anyone's life. You really did it because you want to feel good about giving other people money. That's pretty much the equivalent of saying you're outraged about how people are being treated in the black community. But realistically, you're still doing it for yourself. You're, you're saying these things to make yourself feel better that you're being active about it. But really, you're, you haven't moved from behind your computer. You haven't sent an email. You haven't made a phone call. You haven't stepped outside your door. And I'm guilty of this too. I can't say that I've actively done anything maybe other than making this podcast. Hopefully, it'll change someone's mind. But I haven't done anything actively to 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 be a better advocate. Mm -hmm. But let's say with some of that cash, you want to do something really important. You wouldn't just go out and give it to someone or hand it to some organization. You're going to do research. You're going to get really into it. You're going to learn more than you ever have. You're going to attend events to learn more, get to know the organization. You want to get to know the cause you're giving to. You're going to research the future of it. You're going to research how much the exact amount you have can do. Just like, you know, the back of that UNICEF box we used to all get for Halloween, like one quarter will feed three kids for five days or whatever it is. You're going to know exactly how much you have will do X, Y, and Z. There are so many barriers to be broken down as far as racism goes and with a stack of cash you can buy a bulldozer white privilege is like being born with a stack of cash whereas the systemic racism that has been implemented on the black community makes them born with about 50 cents it's not right it sure as heck isn't right in 2020. Is it applicable to every single white person and person of color? Absolutely not. Not everybody starts at the same point in life. Some families have 
broken through the barriers of, of systemic racism. Some, maybe one person in a family that has been affected has, was a catalyst of change. And that put their family on a different path than where it was going. And that, that does happen. I'm not saying that every single person of color has struggled more than every single white person. But on average, white people are given the benefit of the doubt more than black people. And that's just a fact of the matter. My own mother is a very outspoken person. She has an attitude. She's in your face about it. And she really doesn't care what you think. She's going to say what she's going to say. And I can think about a handful of occasions where if my mom would have been black, the consequences of her actions would have been different. A hundred times over. It's, it's horrible. I mean, it's just so horrible. How, 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 how is this, how is this the reality that we're living in? And it's, I've been seeing on TV and on social media that right now there are two pandemics in America. There is COVID-19 and there is racism and we are suffering from both of them. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm heartbroken. I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, someone, I've seen it going around Facebook a little bit, but someone actually commented on my post. Um, there is an article on medium.com. It's 75 things white people can do for racial justice. Because this is the other thing. This is the other point that I wanted to make. <laughs> Joe's laughing because I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm like vibrating in my seat because I'm, I'm over this. I'm, I'm, oh gosh, I am so, it breaks my heart. Like, honestly, I shouldn't be thanking God that my husband is light skinned. I shouldn't be concerned for, for our friends who are are darker than us. I mean, like literally we have Joe's has family members who are much darker than him. The person who does our intro music for this podcast is our daughter's godfather. He's dark. He's from Jamaica. He's a pastor. He's an amazing person. And I pray for him every day that he's never the victim of some horrible racist act because I know that he would never put himself in a situation where he, sh he should have to be worried about that. But unfortunately that's the reality that we live in is that even though these people aren't doing, I mean, going on a jog, using a check to pay for groceries. Why, why are black people not allowed to live and do these things? I don't understand. So as a white person with your white privilege, the black community has enough to do. They don't need to take time to educate you on how to use something that you were born with. You figure out how to use your lungs. You figure out how to use your hands. You figure out if, look, if you're a pretty girl, you know how to use that if you get pulled over, right? 
you, you never had to get educated on that. I mean, you figure out how to use things that were born naturally to you. You figure out what you're good at in school. You figure out what sports you're good at. You figure out what music you're good at. Guess what? The skin color you were born with, you can use that too to help other people. If you were naturally born good at being a medical researcher and you go on and cure cancer, that's amazing. If you write and you become an advocate for the black community because of the disgusting humans that still walk this earth who think they're better than other people, that's a great thing to do too. So I'm going to link the 75 things white people can do for racial justice. Um, personally, I'm going to print the list out and I'm going to work through it methodically. There's books to read. There's movies to watch. There's people to contact. There's um, organizations to join. But seriously, just be a good human. And you might be asking, what in the world is this episode in a marriage podcast? And to be honest, this the reason why it's it's here is it it's affecting our not affecting negative no like it's something that's in our marriage like we're dealing with this right now and this is for us we saw that this was a very crucial and important topic to talk about because within our marriage you know that is something that we're my wife has to Jessica has to confront that the reality that I'm not a white guy Oh yeah, I've, we, obviously this isn't, this is more of a ethnic thing, not so much a race thing, mm -hmm. um, but we are, Joe, jo, like you learned today, Joe's first language is Spanish, so we're teaching that to our daughter. I speak some Spanish, I am not fluent, please don't approach me and expect me to speak Spanish, because it makes me nervous, and I usually get the grammar all wrong, and that's a whole other thing, but my daughter listens better in Spanish. So one time when we were at the store, she wasn't listening. She was touching things. We were I was at the checkout at the dollar store. This was a while ago, before COVID. I wasn't just letting my kid gallivant around the dollar store recently, I promise. But she was I was trying to finish paying. I was using the little debit card and everything, and she was right next to me. She's usually very good about keeping her hands to herself, but she saw something something. I don't know what it was. She's two. She it was probably just shiny. But she starts touching, and I'm like, don't touch that. Don't touch that. And then I said, no, te, no toques. Because that she listens better to that. We don't know why. I think it's just because that is the authority figure, and she listens better to the language that he speaks. So I'm like, no toques, man, acá, blah, blah, blah. Whatever I said. I don't remember what I said. But I said a few things in her to Spanish, and she snapped right up and stood by my side, and whatever. Well, the white cashier and the white gentleman behind me in line cringe one of them says what language was that looking at me kind of funny now because this blonde haired blue eyed white girl is speaking in tongues <laughs> and i said spanish and the one guy said oh i i thought that was ukrainian or something and yes he had that accent too and i'm like nope just spanish and the other guy goes Oh, so where are you from? And I said, Philly. <laughs> and he's like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, my, my parents are Irish and Italian. And he looks at me up and down and goes, 
a girl speaking Spanish from Philly with Irish and Italian parents. And I'm like, yup. And I walked away because I was done with my transaction. My child was by my side. I don't owe anyone an explanation. But the, the way their looks changed once I started speaking a different language was black and white. I mean... No pun intended. It, yeah, no pun intended. All of a sudden, it was like I was a foreigner and that... Yep. And then he... No, and then the guy said, oh, I would have thought you were from Colombia. Excuse me. If anything, I would have been from Argentina. <laughs> That's usually what I get when yeah. people hear me speaking Spanish, even though I have a very significant Puerto Rican accent when I speak Spanish because I've only really spoken Spanish with Puerto Ricans for the duration. I wish I could speak like Argentinians though. And yeah, but most of the time if people see me speaking Spanish, they're like, are are you from Argentina or something? Because I am lighter skinned. I have lighter Mm -hmm. complexion. I don't, I don't look Puerto Rican like my sister-in-laws or I mean, I don't, you know, but it's, it's, bizarre like how quickly someone's attitude towards you will change when they think you're not like them i don't know i don't remember where i was going with that story at this point honestly uh, it, it's uh, i'm glad that you brought that story up i've totally forgot that uh, i wasn't there for that but oh right this is something we deal with in our marriage yeah, yeah, yeah. right know, this is a marriage for, podcast i remember for, that now <laughs> for me the looks the change of attitude, perception, and really just comes down to the demeaning look that I get from when I walk into a superstore and all of a sudden the words that are coming out of my mouth is not English, is scary. Especially down south. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, let, let's, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, we'll, be, we'll be very clear. The South is, it, it, it's really difficult. Um, People warned me before we moved down here that it would be. It, uh, I remember a um, fellow pastor made a comment. I will not say where, but in their territory, they're still fighting the Civil War. And that should show the attitude and the mindset that we still have to this day. And I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm putting the pastor's hat now at this point, but this is such a crucial conversation to have, even especially if you are in interracial marriage, uh, but definitely if you are just a, you know, a white family, this is so important to talk about because at the end of the day, it comes down to how we view other people. And I've always from, from, Man, uh, from the first time that I encountered racism, prejudice, whatever you, whatever term you want to use to either make it harsher or soften, um, all of this comes down to, to selfishness, like, how selfish am I that I can think that I'm better than someone else or that I deserve something more than someone else? And that really just comes right back down to uh, to marriage as well. Like, 
the way that I relate to other people outside of my marriage, you might not see the relationship, but I bring that too into my, into, into this household. If I treat someone else that is not me inferior, then in some way, shape or form, I'm doing that to you as well, because you're not me. You know, it might not be as horrible, you know, as, as a stranger, right? Because in a while I've been, I've been with Jessica for 10 years. Um, but it, it, it still comes back to the fact, man, there's still something in me that's selfish and self-centered and it's all about me. And last time I checked, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus is, is, was all about. And these, you know, my heart breaks. I, I will be honest at this very point, my mind is racing. I don't want to preach the sermon that I'm, that I have ready for the service. I rather be preaching on John three sixteen or some other fluffy duffy sermon that I can, you know, pull up and you know, make everyone feel good. I don't want to preach the sermon. I a thousand percent within my soul does not want to preach this sermon. But at the end of the day, why don't I want to do that? Like, cause it's hard. <laughs> and, and these are things that at, in the marriage, we need to confront this. We, you know, I, I want to encourage you, you know, with your spouse, or if you're not married with whoever's a special person, sit down and talk about this because this really just comes down to how you view other people outside of you. And if you, if you can't tackle that, I'm not going to say that there's no hope for you because I believe that there is hope for everyone that think that's where Jesus, no, this is where, where Jesus really comes in. You know, that's something that, you know, prayer or meditation, whatever, whatever religious belief you have, whether you have one or not, you're going to have to examine yourself. You know, we, I have to examine myself all the time. And honestly, I was, when Joe told me this morning that he's planning a sermon, I'm like, Oh, thank you. Thank you for being one of those pastors. Who's going to speak up about it and speak out about it and be an advocate, even though it puts him way outside of his comfort zone, not way outside of his comfort zone, but even though it's an uncomfortable sermon to preach, it's being done because that that's literally what this is about. You have to step outside your comfort zone for the, the needs of others. How, how can you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus or a follower of Allah or Buddhist Whatever, at this or point, yeah. how can you, how can you believe in something greater than yourself? If you're pe- still treating people less than yourself. Mm-hmm. That blows my mind. I mean, it. I can't tell you th- how much time I have wasted trying to figure out believers who are also supremacists. Those, it's an oxymoron. They, the two cannot coexist. You can't be a believer and a supremacist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, they don't go together. And if you disagree with me, this is not an airport. You do not need to announce your departure. We'll just pray for you. 
Okay. Okay. I'm really fired up. I don't even know how long we've been going at this. But yeah, there's there's so much that there's so much work that has to be done. And it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter as long as you don't end. Start somewhere, pick up a book. Um some of the recommendations off that list of 75 things. Um there's a few documentaries on Netflix. I'm trying to pull them up now. Movies like 13th, The House I Live In, there's plenty of books. The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, Caught um Between the World and Me. I mean there's there's tons of books on this list. The Color of Law. Start off of this list. It says start a reading group. Have some of your friends read this book too. Read it together. Discuss it. Discuss what makes you uncomfortable. Create a space where you feel okay to be vulnerable about being being of privilege. It's not easy to say. It's not easy to think about. But when you recognize it and you realize that you can be a catalyst for change for other people, yeah. how can you, how can you not? At the very least. At the, at the very least. And even if you don't want to read, you know, if you don't want to read it or if you don't at least put it into meditation or prayer, whatever it is. Yeah, recognize your own heart at, at the very least. Yeah. Um, we, our heart breaks for the colored community. Um, it only highlights and makes real the, the fear that I personally live with every single day. Um, my prayers go out to to the um, to the families, but uh, not just the families, but just the whole community as a whole. Um, we've been at this for a very, very long time, and unfortunately, um, things haven't gone better. Um. Politics has reigned this issue. I was telling a good friend of mine, close friend, my biggest regret. Well, my biggest desire that I had when this whole pandemic was starting, and now it's a huge regret, was that I remember looking from the outside in, in 9-11, that event unified this country to such a point where everyone was an American citizen. You weren't white, you weren't black, you weren't Asian, you weren't whatever it was. You were American. And people loved on each other. And... In the middle of the horribleness of COVID-19, and sadly, I think the number went up to 100, and, uh, 100 million, 100,000, 100, I can't remember. Um, I was hoping that this would be this decade's 
and it hasn't. And we continue to see it with things like this. Um, the silence is deafening. Yeah. I... Um, my prayer, again, like I said, my prayer goes out to the community. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I really think the only appropriate way to would be to close with a prayer and we'll, we're just not going to sign off today. Um, cause at this point sitting in our office, we can close with a prayer, get started on this list of 75 things, preach a sermon, call people out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's work to do. Thanks for listening in today, guys. Uh, we're going to close with with a quick prayer. If that's not your thing, feel free to end the podcast now. If it is, hang tight and thanks for joining us. I have a word of prayer and I'll leave a moment of silence and you can fill in all the names of people that victims that you know off the top of your head. Our gracious father, we thank you for the opportunity given Jessica and I to, to share on our, on our struggle and in our reaction to what is happening in our community. Father, we want to leave a moment of silence for, sadly, the voices that have been silenced by these horrible acts that just can't... It was clearly racially charged, racially motivated. So we want to leave this moment of silence for them. Father, your word promises peace. Jesus himself said that he came to give us life more abundant. Father, we don't know how it's playing out. And the results are not showing up. But does it mean that we don't trust and believe that it's happening? Father, I pray that you will pour that upon us uh, as humans but specifically on us as American citizens and specifically to the color community Father we we need you to act now we need you to act now and if it is by some supernatural marvelous act or whether it be by raising up a strong voice or, as we have been seeing, raising up a whole generation to speak up and to cry against this. Father, we pray that it will happen and that your hand will be involved in this. 
we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.